Hello and welcome to the Seven Stage Podcast. I'm JY Ping, and on today's episode, we're presenting a webinar about how to effectively use a wrong answer journal to review questions you've missed and learn from those mistakes. Seven Stage Tutor Julia discusses the ways that you can format your wrong answer journal and what it should include to be most helpful to your LSAT studies. Then she and Seven Stage Tutor Scott take questions from the audience. So without further ado, please enjoy. Good evening, my name is Scott Milam, and I'm the manager of the Seven Stage Tutoring Program. Tonight, I'm joined by Julia Green. Julia is one of our distinguished tutors and live class instructors. This evening, she is here to discuss the ways that you can refine your study technique by using a wrong answer journal. Without further ado, Julia, take it away. Hey, everybody. I am super excited to be talking to you guys this evening about the wrong answer journal. So just to give you some background on me, I was no natural at the LSAT. I started studying for the LSAT my sophomore year of college, and my diagnostic score was in the 140s. And I ended up studying over a period of multiple years while I was working full time. And I found while I was doing that, the biggest challenge wasn't necessarily in finding enough time, even though it seemed like that would be my biggest challenge, but just in the fact that no matter how much I studied and how much I reviewed explanations and video explanations, I couldn't figure out how to get better at some points. Like I would always be hitting these really, really tough plateaus that I have a hard time overcoming. And that gets into what the purpose of my wrong answer journal is. And what I did with my wrong answer journal is I decided that I needed to change the way I was analyzing my wrong answers in order to figure out how is this going to actually translate into some progress. I'm putting all this time into practice tests, drilling sections. Why am I not seeing an equal improvement? And it's because what I want to do in my wrong answer journal, and you'll see a, a template that you can even use for your own wrong answer journal tonight, is... I like to analyze not why the right answer is right, but why we didn't pick the right answer. Because I find there are so many different parts of the question that we can make mistakes in, in our process. And a lot of my students will come to me and I'll ask them, how do you review your wrong answers? They'll say a lot of the times, oh, I watch JY's video, those great explanation videos, and I think I understand what I did wrong and I continue from there. But I find that if we just review videos, we can say all day long, yeah, that makes sense. I'll be sure not to not to make that same mistake in the future. But it's really hard for us to analyze in depth exactly what our tendencies are, because we can make mistakes in so many different areas, including analyzing the question type just first with that question. If we're solving logical reasoning and a necessary assumption or an inference question and in reading comprehension. The next area that I find my students commonly make mistakes is understanding the stimulus. And we'll get into more of what I look for in that in a second. Creating a prediction is another really common area where mistakes pop up. So if you're someone who has a hard time going into the answer choices with kind of an idea of what our answer might contain, this could be an issue, an area of issue for you. And I would say the last large area of, of issue that comes up with the answer choices are eliminating our answer choices. And we'll get into kind of the common mistakes in those different parts. Let me jump in with a, maybe a little bit of a fundamental or really basic question, because I, I know that there are, I'm sure, a lot of people who are listening to this who have used this strategy in, in some sense before. But for those who have it, explain a little bit in just the broadest terms, what is a wrong answer journal? And, and maybe more importantly, why is it that we should use this? Why is this a, a valuable or useful strategy for LSAT studiers to use? Yeah, really good questions. So the wrong answer journal is either a physical journal or it can be a document, an Excel spreadsheet on your computer, where essentially what you're doing is compiling a list of the questions you got wrong in all of the sections, depending on how you approach your wrong answer journaling. And we set up some columns in our wrong answer journal to make sure that we're asking ourselves the right questions in response to what we got wrong in these different sections. So to kind of preview what our wrong answer journal looks like, and then I'll hop back to that previous page to take a look at the parts, is these are some really great examples of how you can set up your wrong answer journal. And I think the important thing to remember with the wrong answer journal 
is our overall purpose is to focus not on why is the right answer correct, but we want to focus on those columns kind of more towards the right of the page here, that we want to focus on these questions. What can I do better next time to get this right? Why was the right answer right? Why was the wrong answer wrong? Because I think it's important to explain all of the questions in these columns because we definitely want to be able to understand why the right answer is right. But it's more important for us to identify not what was good about the answer, but what strange test taking things that impacted our ability to answer these questions. Because I find that We've been trained for so long to approach standardized tests in a certain way that the way we eliminate answer choices, the way we predict, just carries over from those standardized tests that are very different from how we take a look at the LSAT. So in the only other, I think, common mistake I see in the process of selecting an answer choice is being a little too easy with when we're eliminating an answer choice. And we'll kind of get into what trends pop up in the wrong answer journal and how I kind of identify these different pieces. But I'd say a big part of the process with the wrong answer journal is after we've compiled a lot of entries from practice tests, from timed drills, our goal with the answer journal is to be able to conduct our analysis so that we can find trends kind of like this. Like one trend we could identify is where in my process am I getting something incorrect? Am I making an assumption? Part of the reason that this is so important, and this is a step that that a lot of people unfortunately skip out on if they haven't gotten good advice from a tutor or from listening to someone like you, is that so often we can get into this habit of just taking drill after drill, practice test after practice test. And being surprised when we don't actually make any progress, where we just kind of stay in some sort of permanent plateau, perhaps even decline over time. And ultimately, it's because this is something I say so often, it almost becomes cliche. But just taking practice tests doesn't by itself improve your score. Practice tests are much better thermometer than a thermostat. They're good at indicating where you are, but not changing where you are. And wrong answer journaling or any of a variety of techniques that we use, like blind review to you know, really examine the practices that we take and the drills that we take are really crucial to helping us to identify the reasons that we're making the mistakes that we're making so that we can then go on to improve them. This isn't just some sort of magic thing. This isn't something that we do just to keep our students busy, but it's kind of a structured way of ensuring that we are actually reviewing the mistakes and learning the lessons that we need to learn from this. Yeah, I definitely agree with you because I think what you said about practice tests is definitely true. I'll have many students who will come to me and they'll be completely destroyed or very thrown off every time we take a practice test or a time section. And I think what the wrong answer journal does also has the potential to kind of change the mindset a little bit with how we view our wrong answers, because we really should see it easier said than done to view it as an opportunity that we've found something wrong that we're doing in our process here. So it's helpful to use our wrong answer journal to think of it as a, a check-in process of are the study methods I'm doing right now, are those doing the good work and fixing my tendencies in my wrong answer analysis? Or am I still kind of continuing to see the exact same issues as we go along? So I definitely agree with the, the identification of this being almost a temperature check that we're checking in to see if our study processes are going well. And I completely remember when I would take a practice test and my score wouldn't go up and I would just feel totally stated because I didn't meet my expectations. And leaning into the wrong answer journal was so helpful for that because I find if you don't have the right mindset about improvement, it's going to be difficult in order to improve in all the sections down to your goals. So what I want to take a look at here is just an example of a wrong answer journal input. And I think there are things that are good about this example and things that could be improved a little bit. This is a really good example, I would say, of a general input that a student would write. We got two questions here for my wrong answer journal template. So they've written why the right answer was right, why the wrong answer was wrong, and what they can do in the future to prevent making the same mistakes. And I why is, it, why is it that you choose those questions in particular? What oh, is it good, about those questions that are helpful? A good question. And we'll see kind of when I get into my own wrong answer journal examples that it's important in any step of your analysis to make sure you're asking yourself 
purposeful questions. Because if I only ask myself generally, what did I do wrong? And I'm not specifically tethering my analysis. We're not able to identify the different parts of the question that we could be getting wrong. Because I think in analyzing why the right answer was right, that helps us identify content information. And maybe we'll be able to identify, oh, a lack of understanding was my disconnect here. Versus as we get into why the wrong answer is wrong, answering these different questions just presents different forms of analysis to identify, am I getting the questions wrong because I don't understand what's happening? Or maybe I'm getting the questions wrong because I'm eliminating too easy. I'm assuming things. You can ask a lot of different questions to guide your wrong answer journal process. I think what you just want to have as an overall goal is to ask three or four questions that just help you analyze the different areas you need to improve in and that help you check in with tendencies you've already found before. So I noticed that the explanation for what I can do in the future for this student, this is definitely the shortest section they put in. And I think there's a really good identification of what the student can do in the future to prevent these things. But I think this is a really good example of what my students will tend to focus on, which is a pretty brief explanation. Well, maybe a bit a little vague. Maybe I don't know entirely what, what it says I can do in the future. So our instance here says, look for terms that are shared between points. And I would say this is a really good starting place for an explanation like this. But my only concern is that I don't even know, like we don't have the, the question number here. And if I didn't have the question number on this student's worksheet, I probably would not be able to figure out like what they were saying they selected or what exactly their issue was. I don't get a super strong sense of maybe what specific words we're supposed to be looking for, or there's just very general language here that doesn't strongly tell me why I got this wrong. Is it because the student overlooked something they assumed? something. We always want to be identifying exactly those identifications. So taking a look at our next option to look for answer choices, which directly address some point being made. Again, a little bit similar. I would say a really good jumping off point saying to look for the answer choice with this direct addressing of this point that they predicted would be in the answer. But again, not quite specific enough that we can really identify. Was this an assumption problem, a misunderstanding problem. And we'll see in my examples here how to get a little more in depth. I do like yeah, that you're ahead. focusing so much on that last question, because just to kind of walk through this and having seen a number of different students' wrong answer journals and seen a lot of different tutors come through our program and different approaches that they've had with it. There are a lot of ways to do a wrong answer journal. One of my first clients had a journal almost two solid typed written pages for every single mistake that he made on every single practice test. It was something that took him hours and hours every week. And then I've had people who wrote so little that essentially it really didn't analyze any of the mistakes that they made at all. But I kind of like this format and these three questions as, as a good starting point, though, of course, as you mentioned, there's something you can add because the three questions kind of get to the heart of the sort of review and process that we should go through when we're diagnosing our mistakes. Anytime we choose a wrong answer, we have made at least two errors. We have ignored a correct answer. We have chosen a wrong one. And ultimately, we should examine both of those mistakes. In other words, we should see what happened that caused us to skip over the right answer as we were going through our answer choices and what was so attractive about that wrong answer. But that last question is one that almost nobody who hasn't worked with a tutor or had the benefit of some expert experience has really gotten used to asking. And that is, what do I need to change about my process? What do I need to do differently on future tests? So easy with the wrong answer journals. Get so focused in on the specific question in front of you that you're not asking the larger process question. Ultimately, that's the most important part of it. Anytime you make a mistake, whether it's prep test 88, okay, section one, question 17, you're never going to see that exact same question again. So if we're not asking kind of the generalized question, what about my process caused me to make this error? If we get too focused on the particulars of that question, then ultimately we can fail to learn the lesson that's going to help us on the next breath test and ultimately on the real LSAT because we're so focused on the particulars of an individual question. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the time people will kind of stray away from the wrong answer journal because they'll think that these questions aren't super valuable. But I'll actually find with my wrong answer analysis process that 
And you're totally right. We won't see those questions again. And because of that, it's really surprising to see the trends that pop up in wrong answer analysis. Because, And we'll take a look at some examples from my wrong answer journal here. This is kind of my beginning era, a little bit of my wrong answer journal. But I find that what people will do is not really focus on what can I do in the future to prevent it because it doesn't feel super impactful. But when I started doing my wrong answer analysis, I was super surprised because I felt I had a way better understanding of my test-taking tendencies, my issues than ever before. And this could be something that you guys find that I found for like half of the questions that I was getting wrong. I was getting them wrong because I always came down between two answer choices. One answer choice I didn't entirely understand a whole lot. Another answer choice that I understood a whole lot, but I knew there was something wrong with it, something I didn't like about it. It was so surprising. Almost every single wrong answer, maybe like 80% of the time, it came down to two answer choices where I would go with an answer I knew wasn't great only because I'd already thrown the other one out. So in that analysis with all these questions that don't seem like we would see general overarching trends that my issues really came down to tunnel vision with my prediction and being too lenient with my answer choice elimination. So like I said, this is an example of a little bit earlier in my wrong answer journal process. And I'm so, so happy I have this to this day because you can really continue to see your processes evolve over time. In this iteration of my wrong answer journal, I try to make it very nice, organized, go through all the nice answer choices, A through E, got my explanations for why they're wrong. But I felt like in my instance of this wrong answer journal at this point, that I really didn't strongly lean into my tendencies. I was analyzing the questions super duper well, but I didn't feel I was actually doing analysis into getting into, well, what am I supposed to actually continue on from here? And taking a look at our specific example, taking a look at PT 88 section four question 21 at the bottom left here. And no, I didn't quite come up with two typed pages for all of my questions here, but there were certainly some passages and some logical reasoning questions where I would end up filling an entire page of my notebook, just because I find that the deeper you can analyze one question, the better you can understand it, the easier you're going to be able to go through all the other questions in that section. A lot of my students will focus on drilling a lot of sections, a lot of questions, instead of focusing on maybe even going back to the questions that they missed before. But taking a look at this example in the bottom left, I kind of wrote out, I think taking a look through my process here, we start with kind of a prediction. So the solution would only make problems worse. And we've identified from our conclusion and our explanation, my assumption here, get into my reason why the answers are not good. And I kind of did a sentence of analysis at the bottom. I think it's worth breaking down a little bit on the, the different components that you have there. And I know that's so second nature to you, but I love just a few things about this. One, that you, before you even get into figuring out, okay, what do I do with each of these answer choices? You kind of try to preserve, hey, how did I go through the stimulus? How was I reading it? What assumptions was I making in this? By the way, if this is something that you have a hard time doing after you've already seen the answers, if you have a hard time kind of putting yourself back in the headspace where you, you were when you made a wrong answer. I've seen people do this on blind review too, on questions where they really feel uncertain. You can do this kind of before, before you start that out. But then once you've kind of covered, hey, this is how I read the stimulus, this is how I understood it, you go through each of the answer choices, which is a little more thorough than I've seen most people. Usually I just see people pick the wrong answer and, and the right answer. But then my, I think my favorite part of this is that you actually have kind of a, a prescription at the end. You actually, you kind of box you, this is something that I want to do on future questions. This is the lesson that I have to take from that. I think that's incredible. I think that's really the thing that, again, is so often neglected. It's the most useful part of this. It's asking yourself, what do I need to do to get future questions like this right? Yeah, I've been telling a lot of my November test takers that you can really improve your score a lot in a really short amount of time, I really think, just by completely dedicating yourself to changing your mindset about these wrong answers. Because the way I set up this explanation for this question really does walk through the systematic way I approached logical reasoning questions. 
I, and if anyone's joined my logical reasoning live class, you've seen this. I always start just by identifying my conclusion and what the explanation is for that conclusion. So I'm kind of just trying to come up with a, a low res summary in my own words. That makes a bit more sense than how the LSAT writers have described it. After I kind of come up with my low res summary here, I try to identify an assumption. And this is definitely the tricky part. This is an area where a lot of people can go wrong because it's difficult to identify an assumption that's general enough that it is the gap that we see between the conclusion and the premise, but isn't so strong that you would get prediction tunnel vision like I would end up doing. So after I've analyzed my low res summary, we've got our assumption or my prediction of what I think the right answer is going to talk about generally, then I go into my analysis of my answer choices. And something else I think that's underutilized with the wrong answer journal is when you take like perhaps a set of 10 LR questions untimed, I think it's valuable for you to write down before you do your wrong answer analysis, why you eliminated all the answer choices for like 10 questions. Because I find it's so valuable to be able to go back in the moment and see exactly why you got an answer wrong. Because it's really enlightening and showing, am I misreading something? Am I going too fast? And I'm always coming out after we analyze that A through E with a little description of what do I think I could carry forward in the future here to, to avoid this problem going forward? So I wrote this, always write out prephrase for flaw questions. And this was just a method that worked really well for me. If you have an issue with flaw questions, my problem was always that I had a hard time reading the conclusion really literally. And so I had to experiment with a lot of different ways to fix that. And I don't think there's any magic solution. Like I don't think me writing out my prediction like fixed everything for me. But what we want to do is be very active in the way we approach the test. That when we identify we have a tendency, we should be doing something to combat it. And that's where the wrong answer journal comes in. So taking a look at another one of my examples here, as we get further along in my process, and this was, and I like I even dated this one. This was in March and I took my final test in June. This one here, we get a little bit more of what I'd like to see now in my students' wrong answer journals. There's a little bit more of a description. And I think it's really useful to be able to walk through the different steps in your process. Like towards the top and the left side of the page, we see for this question, I walked through A through E, why I thought those were bad. And that's all an important part of analysis. We want to make sure we know why the right answer is right. But I think even more so, we want to shift into this analysis mindset below. So my little explanation for this was, I got this right going with my gut instinct, but it's really hard and I couldn't truly grasp what the argument was concluding. I feel why it's right could eliminate the wrong answers. So on the bright side, I was able to straddle the uncertainty here. And we'll talk about that to find the right answer. But I did incorrectly diagram A, beauty to best, but AC discussed the most beautiful specifically. And here's the important part of our analysis. I need to make sure I don't just go on autopilot and assume sufficient necessary diagramming. So it's really easy to say, yeah, I'll definitely think about this in the future. I'll think about whether I'm eliminating correctly. But until you make yourself write down the process and why you think you got the answer wrong, it's really hard to identify these tendencies that I would figure out I can get the answer right even when I don't wholly understand the stimulus or the passage. But it's going to depend on that idea of straddling the uncertainty. And if that's an idea you haven't heard of before, that's the concept of when we get down to those two answer choices, one of them is confusing as all get out. Maybe we don't understand it. The other one we have maybe a little question about, a little problem with, but otherwise seems okay. Straddling the uncertainty is when we are brave enough to select the answer choice that maybe we don't wholly see what's right about it, but we can certainly see what's wrong about the other ones. Straddling the uncertainty is a concept the wrong answer journal helps with so much because what this is basically combating at every step in the process is going on autopilot because I think that's the, the biggest problem with not doing a wrong answer journal is it's really hard to identify if you have a systematic process in each of your sections because I'll tell my students 
so many different methods and strategies work for everybody. The only strategy that doesn't work, I would say, is no strategy at all. Because if you're someone who struggles with inconsistency, it could be because you don't have that regimented process like I had laid out at the beginning of my wrong answer journal process. So I would say make sure overall that for each section, you've got a specific plan for how you approach the question types. And then after you've got that specific method, you can analyze its effectiveness through your wrong answer journal. The point of the wrong answer journal, as we talked a little bit about, is to test out what we're currently doing. So it's almost like I'm just recording the results of an experiment here in my wrong answer journal. So now we can continue on to what I think is the best example I have of my wrong answer journal. And it almost looks entirely like a giant block of a paragraph here. And I guess you'll all have to trust me when I read what this says, because I don't even know if anyone could read my handwriting here because it's pretty atrocious. Taking a look at this, it says for question 14, I got this wrong because I did not spot the difference between answer choices B and D. B says commitment to psychology, which was the topic of the passage. ACD references evolutionary theory. And so this entry here pretty much only focuses on that one question that we saw in our wrong answer journal. And I think that goes to show that you'll go through a decent bit of experimentation with this process here. That at first I listed out A through E, why they were all wrong. In this iteration, which I think is the best one that I recorded during the time I was studying, really focused mostly on just why did I get this wrong and how can I prevent it in the future? And I think that Excel example we took a look at is the best kind of combination of those two, that we want to make sure we're covering content and the reason why we're eliminating answers. Because taking a look at this, I would read my input here and I would want to be able to identify first off just what part of our answer of our question process did I mess up with here? So if I'm saying that I selected, oh, I've mixed up the difference between B and D because of these terms, evolutionary psychology versus evolutionary theory, I'd probably put that under the category of a misread. So for that, I would say maybe here I didn't read correctly the stimulus. Perhaps I made some assumptions about it, but I've strongly identified already in the first two sentences here that my problem with this question came from the stimulus, understanding the stimulus and seeing how it relates to our answer choices. And of course, there's a lot of different ways you could analyze our trends here too. I think I could call this a misread from the stimulus, could call it a misread of my answer choices. But in either case, I'm able to point to a specific part of the question strategy where I'd go, I can see where I would mess this up here. And it's at that point we want to be able to identify and come off autopilot because my goal with the wrong answer journal is just so that at some point in the future, say I get a question really similar to this in advance or really similar next time, and I similarly misread two different things. What my wrong answer journal should do is for that answer, I probably won't feel great about the wrong answer I select. And so what I really, really hope this training will do is make me go, okay, I don't feel good about this answer. I hate all the other answer choices. This probably means, oh, remember that question when I misread something? I'm going to go back and take a look at those contenders that I didn't really understand. Because in combating that tunnel vision or autopilot, it's going to take a lot of work to consciously work that analysis into your studying process. So that's why it feels really, really tedious at first. So many of my students won't do a wrong answer journal, I think, because it just takes a lot of time, like with blind review. And it's kind of difficult to, to word your explanations. I'll find that sometimes my students will say, I really just can't explain this, but I've got a good gut feeling. Or I matched like ideas from the stimulus to the answer choices. And those are definitely still valid strategies, depending on the questions we're looking at. But I think what's important is if you have a hard time writing out an explanation for your questions, that's probably your sign that you need to be using the wrong answer journal, maybe more than any other group of, of test taker. Only because the quicker we can get with articulating why we got these wrong and why the answers are right, the quicker we'll be able to get through these exact same types of questions in advance. 
So sometimes I would even include wrong answers or questions I was truly on the fence about when I came down to two and I would think I probably don't have a great understanding of what the answer is. And I want to make sure that I analyze everyone I'm not sure about because we're always trying to identify just any point where there was a split second we can save any time. And that's why a lot of my analysis sometimes would go into those lower level questions, which you really wouldn't expect. But I would find that a lot of the skill with logical reasoning specifically in getting down to a coveted minus zero is just getting through level one questions, level two questions as quick as you can. So this really benefits test takers at all different parts of the spectrum. Because if you identify an issue you're having as content, you can go back to the core curriculum, review your issues from there. And if you're identifying that your problem isn't content, but is in like answer choice selection, then that's a completely different focus that you want to take in your drills if we're not fixing our understanding. And so for our question 14, I identified seems to be kind of a misread here. And so I analyzed at the end what I should take away from this. I get something really similar. Another good example with question nine down below. This answer is right in the text, so I shouldn't have missed it. I definitely need to be using my extra time more evenly between all four passages. E was right there. I missed it because I didn't take the time to fully comprehend the passage. And I continue on a little bit from there. So this is such a good analysis because it doesn't just talk about what was wrong with how I approached the content? I'm touching upon here how I wasn't wisely using my time throughout the section. So sometimes I would end up getting through an RC or an LR passage with five minutes maybe to spare. And what I would do is I'd use that five minutes to go back and take a look at questions I wasn't sure about. But I just never had any luck taking a second glance at questions. I found that if I made myself look at a question for a longer amount of time, I had a better chance of getting it right than if I doubled back and made a second attempt. And this analysis is exactly what helped me figure it out, that I would go through an answer on my initial run, get the answer wrong, maybe do my analysis again, and then still not see an improvement because of time, not really understanding. And so taking a look at the, at the bottom portion here, I should have taken the time and deeply engaged with the passage the first time around rather than doing a low quality second time review. And goodness, I do think if this many people were going to be seeing my wrong answer journal, I may have tried to make it a little more neatly written out. But you get the real authenticity of my answer journal this way. The important thing is leaning into what part of my question analysis am I doing wrong? And then what am I going to do in the future to prevent it? Highly recommend using a template just because when you put it on the, on the journal here, it can get a little bit less organized. But this brings us into the analysis portion of our wrong answer journal, because I think it's really important to spend just as much time analyzing your inputs as much as you're actually writing in explanations. Because there are really common trends that I bet a bunch of you guys watching will go, yeah, this, this happens to me a lot. The first one is my biggest issue, which is why I put it as number one, because it was my big problem, that I would eliminate answers too easily. So in my answer choice explanations in my journal, I would maybe even have an explanation of, I just thought it was wrong right away. I didn't really highlight anything in particular on it, but I just kind of exit out immediately. And that would be the case when I'd get down to no answer choices I like because I eliminated all the good ones. Next is assuming good things about all the answers. I find that my students, when analyzing the answer choices, instead of reading them in the light least favorable to the question, they'll try to make the answers like really good for the question. They'll say, how could I interpret this in the best way to make it the answer? Because we want to find the answer. But that can definitely lead us astray because if we're thinking good things about all the answers, it'll be hard to identify, well, which one is objectively still our answer, even if I interpreted it the, the worst way I possibly could. Because whenever we get to that question mark of, I could interpret this answer choice this way, we don't want to think about how that interpretation would be good for the question. 
Another really common trend that comes up is misreading. And this is a great one to identify because I think there are some quick fixes for it. If you're misreading, you can follow along the text with your cursor. And that's scientific, I think. I read in an article somewhere. If you follow the text with your cursor, I hypothesize, it is easier to follow along and also in leaning into your highlight process. But I'll touch on that in a second. The last common trend I really see in the wrong answer analysis is uncertainty. When I have students that will say, I really don't know why I got this one wrong. Like the answer seemed pretty obvious. Looking back at it now, it's super clear this was correct and I was silly for even selecting it wrong. And I think what the issue is with this type of common trend is that it, I think it commonly leads into the eliminating too easily factor. That whenever we have uncertainty about a stimulus or an answer choice, it makes us not really view them in favorable ways. So looking at the answer choices, if I don't understand the right answer, as I brought up with eliminating, I'm probably just going to throw it out because I'm not paying super close attention. I'm just looking for my prediction, looking for the good answer. And so oftentimes, if a student will come to me and say, my rationale for my wrong answers is a lot of uncertainty. Like, I don't really know what I'm doing wrong here. What that means is you need to take more time to slowly understand the answer choices and the stimulus. Because uncertainty, misreads, these things come from just reading passages, stimuli a bit too fast, and just trying to get into the answer choices too quickly. Because I think what we really want to do in order to fix our tendencies, and there are a lot of different things you can experiment with, these are just a couple things that worked for me. So one was really purposeful flagging, not necessarily for questions I knew I was going to come back to, but questions I wanted to train myself to be really careful with. Like for me, those were flaw questions. I had a super hard time literally reading the conclusion of flaw questions. So I would flag it every single time I had a question just to remind myself that, okay, this is a question you'll get wrong, but you need to be really careful about. Taking a look at another common way to fix some of these tendencies is engaging with highlighting. Because I think people highlight a lot in our passages, in our stimuli, but very few people, I think, are highlighting our answer choices. And if you've joined any of my live classes, that I absolutely love highlighting maybe even more stuff in my answer choices sometimes than in our stimuli, in our passages. Because engaging with the answer choices by highlighting is the best way to overcome those misread mistakes. That if I'm making myself highlight what I don't like specifically about each answer, that fixes a few things. It'll prevent me from eliminating things when I just don't understand them because I have to have a good reason. And it's going to make myself actually consider them without kind of just going, yeah, this isn't what I'm looking for. This isn't my prediction. The last thing or say the last drill, I should say, is the wrong answer repeat drill. Again, something that doesn't feel hugely impactful, but going back and reattempting those wrong answers or those questions that you got incorrect in the past and redoing your input for them is really powerful. And just seeing, like I did with my wrong answer analysis, how your thought process just changes over time. It serves as another good check-in for you to see, am I actually thinking about these questions differently the next time I'm taking a look at them? And my very last recommendation for you guys, these are just some things I tried out with fixing my specific tendencies, are affirmations. And I'll say that at the beginning of my LSAT journey, I was the first person to say that like affirmations, self-care, that's all, that's all silly. That's a bunch of hooey and I don't need it. But I'll tell you, I improved the most when I started saying what I felt like at the time were like some silly affirmations to myself. Because a lot of my tendencies revolved around eliminating between those two answer choices. I would make an affirmation before my test and I would say every single time, I select an answer choice because all the other answers are wrong. Or I read every single word of the stimulus and I read every answer choice. Identifying that I could sometimes fall into the boat of misread or I could sometimes come up with a prediction and just absolutely be obsessed with 
picking the answer choice that matches that prediction to the point where maybe I'm not considering some good options. So an affirmation to combat that I came up with is I make sure that I come up with a general prediction. My predictions would contain what the answers will talk about, but not specific pieces of information. So fixing your tendencies isn't something that you need, I would say, a ton of background and like LSAT studying in order to do. A lot of this was just trial and error in my own process here because I studied for over a couple years by myself while I was working full time. This all just came from trial and error because what works for me definitely is not going to work for you. And the most important thing is to just continue going back and retrying them. I was going to say, and I think that's an important point for everyone to get from this. So one of the one of the key things about doing a wrong answer journal is not necessarily that your your solutions are going to be the same as Julia's or the same as anyone else on this site. I'm sure when we get to questions here in a couple of minutes, we're going to have all sorts of people asking, how can we address this problem or that problem? And their problems are going to be different than, than yours and their, their solutions. So that's going to be different than yours. But a wrong answer journal is a way to individualize and to identify and diagnose the problems that you specifically are having on the LSAT so that you can identify ways as well to, to correct them. I think the nature of this process, forcing yourself to go through and rigorously review your mistakes, this is the process that helps you ultimately get better on the LSAT and to find solutions that are customized for you and for the difficulties that you have at the test. Absolutely. And kind of talking about the purpose of the wrong answer journal and kind of closing out, I think it's most important to think of your wrong answer journal as kind of a check-in point because the, the mental game of the LSAT is so important. I had mentioned a little bit earlier that I, at the beginning of my process, would be totally destroyed by these practice test scores. And it was really not productive for my studying that I would feel totally disheartened, not even be able to look at practice tests and drills. And it's so important to come up with these affirmations, even if you're a person like me who might think it's a little bit silly, because the only way you're going to fix these tendencies that you have with all your sections is to come up with pointed drills that are fixing whatever area of the question procedure you're messing up in and making sure you're coming up with some sort of affirmation or you don't necessarily have to say these to yourself out loud before you take every test, every section. But I think coming up with a running list of what types of trends you identify and how you can combat them are super important. Something that's very important with LSAT studying overall is just don't do anything without a purpose. And I think that's where a lot of the inconsistency with wrong answer journaling comes in. I'll ask a student, well, how did you review it? We watched the video, but we're not looking at it for a specific reason. Like, am I analyzing what did I eliminate? What did I highlight? What should I have highlighted in this answer choice to, to, to avoid throwing it out early? Or what prediction should I have come up with here? Should I have made myself predict more? I think coming at it with that mindset of this is just where I'm going to check in, see where my process is going right now, and we'll just adjust it from there with drills and affirmations. Easier said than done, but really lean into a positive mindset with your wrong answer journal so that you can see it as more of an opportunity. And I think that's kind of what I've got for us just generally on the wrong answer journal. And I am going to throw into the chat here a link to a spreadsheet for an example template to a wrong answer journal that I send out to my students. And feel free to click on that link and make yourself a copy and give it a try. Yeah. And by the way, we will be sending a link to the video from, from tonight, as well as a link to that document out to everyone who signed up tonight. So if you're on a phone or on some other device where you can't copy down the links, don't worry. We'll make sure that you get everything. So with that, we're going to go ahead and open things up for questions. So the easiest way for this to work is if you will use the raise hand button that will buy you over here on the attendees panel, and that'll let me kind of select whoever raises their hand first and give priority to them. But before we get into that, I just wanted to make a quick announcement that next Tuesday, so November 8th, we are hosting our latest study group breakout session. And I'm going to put a link for this in the chat. If you're looking for a study group and want an easy way to meet up, this is a fantastic way to get paired with people who are of similar ability level to you, who are studying for the same tests. And in this, we automatically pair you with a group of similar people with similar PT scores so that you can work through an LR section together. And ultimately, if you like the group, it'll make it easy for you to trade emails and continue meeting together. 
So you can find a link to that in the chat right now. All right. And we have our first question from Sarah Haley. Sarah, what's your question? Yes, thank you. So I don't know if this is like totally relevant, but how do you apply what you've learned in your wrong answer journal to your sections? Like sometimes when I do wrong answer journals, it doesn't feel like it's yielding any results. I think that if you're not seeing results with wrong answer journaling, like with PTs, that's a sign that you need to check in with your process to see what you can change up. Because I think a lot of it is experimentation. I would take a PT once every week or every other week. And if I didn't maintain or improve the way I wanted, what that means is I need to change it up a little bit. So whether that's going back to the core curriculum or leaning more into question type drilling with logical reasoning. I think it's a sign, and it's hard to say what to improve, but it is a sign that maybe I need to check in and see the different areas I can focus in specifically and what we can change up with our drilling. A question that was asked in the, in the chat earlier on tonight. Did that answer your question, Sarah? Yes, it did. Thank you. Fantastic. So the question that was asked in the chat earlier tonight is we focused a lot on LR in this chat. Is this a strategy that's also useful on the other sections of the test, or is this primarily an LR strategy? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say that this is applicable to all the sections of the test because you'll see these types of problems in all the sections, like answer choice elimination, getting too strong with my prediction. I think I tend to use logical reasoning as the best example, only because it's nearest and dearest to my heart because I was obsessed with logical reasoning but also because I think they're the best examples of the common tendencies we have. And I think maybe I was showing us an example of what we should focus in in our wrong answer analysis, because a lot of people will shy away from doing reading comprehension specifically with wrong answer journaling. I would say that it's least important, maybe if your foolproofing analysis is really good with logic games, you don't necessarily have to do wrong answer journaling as long as you're keeping a meticulous record of what you're doing with games and what mistakes you're making. But otherwise, I would say really good question. And logical reasoning, I think, gives us the best sense of the straightforward question type process because it's a little more regimented. There's a little more pattern, I think, in logical reasoning. But I think reading comp might be the most important section to pursue it in just because it's so hard to make yourself sit down and figure out why you got a reading comp question wrong. And Lucas asked in the chat, do we use the answer journal for drill questions? So would you use this not just for PTs, but for, for regular drills? When, when is this useful? Well, yeah, good question. So time permitting, I say that whenever I sit down for a day to study or any of my students, that if you get an answer wrong, you should be putting it in your wrong answer journal. And I think people will shy away from it because of this idea that we should be getting in time sections and tests. But if we balance more of our studying like a, at a one-to-one -one ratio, like making sure you're analyzing your wrong answers for as long as you're taking your drill questions, that's definitely when you're going to hit the sweet spot of analysis and time to practice. All right. And Crystal, what's your question? Tied to that last question, when do you do the wrong answer repeat drill? Is that, I guess, similar to how that template you have on the website when you constantly do the LG games over and over until you master? Or when, do, when does that come into play, the wrong answer repeat drill? That's a really good question. I think the value of foolproofing is we're getting used to memorizing the inferences from our drill setups. So I think we won't necessarily go back and do the logical reasoning questions and RC incorrect questions a lot of times because eventually we'll just remember those, right? Okay. But I think it is useful to come back maybe at a point in time where it's just far enough away you won't remember, you'll remember the question and kind of why you got it wrong, but you won't remember the exact answer. So perhaps once you've got a compilation of maybe 10 or 20 questions that are really good you want to focus on, you could maybe make this a process like once a week. Perhaps you take a look at the questions you got wrong the week before you take 10 LR questions because we definitely want it to still be close enough that you have some some memory of how you did the question the first way so you can analyze what's different about this approach. Okay, because I think that's what I struggled with before. Like after I would do like the takeaway, which that's all I did. I didn't really break it into detail like you did. But then I struggle with what did I do? I don't remember anything. <laughs> like, 
So. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely a, a hard issue to overcome. I think if that's a problem with wrong answer journaling you have, that would totally come up with me a lot. I would get into the habit for those untimed sections of like 10 or 15 questions, writing out the explanations for why I eliminated all the answer choices. Because I, I very do not have a good short-term memory and I would probably forget my explanations by the end of it. I think if you have a hard time doing that with time sections, it's still valuable to do untimed work, write down your explanation for eliminating those answers. And then you could do that to kick off your wrong answer analysis. Because I think over time, you'll definitely start to build up a, a memory of why did I think I got this wrong as you start to kind of categorizing incorrect questions. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you. All right. And Isaac, you're up. Hello. I just had a quick question. Perspective, because you talked about that earlier. What's the best way to change your perspective on approaching these questions? Because I know some people are pretty set in their ways and it's hard to look at the ELSA in a different way. Yeah, I think this is a really good question. And I will tell you, this is very funny to me because I am the the number one person no one would have ever expected to, to be the mindset, like the positivity person. Because when I first started studying, I remember some of my friends would, would come up to me and be like, you just can't, you can't be stressed out like this. You can't approach the test with this much of negative attitude, end of the world kind of atmosphere because it made me do worse every time. I think I honestly had to trick myself a little bit. I would come up with those written affirmations and say them to myself in the mirror. And over time, my lizard brain started to believe me a little bit. I think comparison is the thief of joy. And it would often be helpful for me to write down the accomplishments I'd already done that I was really proud of. Because I think it's so easy when you're studying for the LSAT to forget that you're studying for the LSAT because you've already graduated college doing incredible things. So I think tricking yourself with those written affirmations and honestly, the thing everybody says that they do, but nobody does is eating well and exercising is incredibly impactful on mental health with the LSAT unexpectedly. I hope Thank that you. your question. Yeah, it does. <laughs> All right. And that brings us pretty much to the end of our time for tonight. If you enjoyed Julia's talk tonight and would like some individualized help from a gifted tutor like her, you're in luck. Seven Sage is now home to the, one of the largest and fastest growing tutoring programs. And we're eager to help you improve and get to your goal score. If you're interested in learning more, you can use the link in the chat that I just entered to schedule a free consult with one of our tutors to learn more about our program. Additionally, again, if you if you enjoyed hearing Julia, guess what? You're in luck. You get to listen to a class taught by her up to three times a week and many other of our instructors beside that. Consider subscribing to our live class program. For only $30 a month, you get a dozen hours of classes every week, as well as an archive of hundreds of previous classes that have been taught by our top-notch instructors. Once again, thank you guys for coming out tonight. I hope you enjoyed this. And again, as you continue to study and prepare for the LSAT, good luck from everyone at Seven Sage. Have a great night. Hey, it's JY again. Thanks for listening. And I hope you got some good advice that you can implement in your own studies. If you are thinking about working with a tutor, get in touch. We'll do a free consultation. You can reach us on sevensage.com. That's it for this episode. Take care of yourself and see you next time.